Good morning, everyone. Um, good to have you with us at church. My name's Mike, and I guess technically I'm not really a student minister anymore. I finished college, so I'm unemployed at the moment. Um, but good to have you with us. And as Huey said, if it's your first time, then a particular warm welcome to you. We hope you have a positive experience at church and that God speaks to you by his word this morning. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll have a look into Genesis. Father God, we pray this morning that by your spirit you would teach, rebuke, correct, and train each one of us so that we may be equipped for every good work and see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're in Genesis, we're in the Joseph story. Again, if it's your first time, you've come on a good week. Uh, Every week's a good week at Church at Nine, but this week is good because we get to witness something very beautiful, very beautiful. And I'm not talking about my wife, and I'm not talking about a beautiful lamb sandwich. We're talking about the beauty of reconciliation, reconciliation. When two parties who were at odds with each other come together in a restored relationship. Uh, Someone sent me this picture a while ago, and I think it captures beautifully what reconciliation is. Um, If you have a look at the photo, there's two friends, and one's carrying a bow, and the other one's got arrows stuck in his back. Um, But at the end of this journey, they are embracing in reconciliation. Um, That is, when we're talking about reconciliation, we're not talking about just getting over stuff and moving on. We're talking in the realm of pain and hurt and grief. But at the end of the day, God does this amazing work of restoring two people together. The beauty of reconciliation. As we've travelled with Joseph, many arrows, so to speak, have been shot. Pain has been inflicted. If you remember in Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers hated him. Now, you and I have heard siblings say that we hate each other, but this is next level. And the reason it's next level is because his siblings have made concrete plans to have him killed and then to be sold into slavery. This is evil, this is malice. But in the providence of God, God raises Joseph to become ruler of Egypt under Pharaoh. And in chapters 42 to 44, which Yang really helpfully recapped, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt because they need food during a famine, but they don't recognise Joseph. Basically, if you haven't seen someone in over 20 years, unless you're Asian, then you will look completely different to what you did 20 years ago. And so they don't recognise Joseph, but somehow Joseph recognises his brothers and so he tests them, not as as a plot of revenge, but to see whether they've changed, whether they've been transformed, whether they've repented of their evil ways. And to his delight, they have. God has done this amazing work of helping them see their guilt and they've changed and they've been transformed. And the thing that just pushes Joseph over the edge is in chapter 44 
when Judah does a very Christ-like thing and he substitutes himself for Benjamin as a prisoner. And it's this act that causes Joseph to lose it. Come with me, Genesis chapter 45 and verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. And So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Friends, here is the emotional climax of the entire Joseph narrative. Finally, Joseph can reveal himself to his brothers. But the brothers, they're dismayed because this is the brother that they left for dead over 20 years ago, and now their life is in his hands. I think we can take that photo down for now, just at the back. Let me throw you a question. What would you do if you were Joseph at this point in the story? Let me tell you what I'd do. I read an article about a, a wife who comes home from work one day. She tells her husband... Someone's been stealing my lunch. She's been taking her food to work each day, and when she finally goes back during her lunch break, someone's stolen her lunch that day. And so the husband, when he finds out, he packs his wife chicken wings for the next day. But he coats it in the hottest chili that he can find. And it never happened again. I would metaphorically put chilies in the brother's food, I would never let them forget what they have done. The human heart is so inclined to seek revenge or at the very least to hold people at an arm's distance who have done something to us that is wrong. But what does Joseph do? Have a look at verse 5. And if there is one key lesson in the entire Joseph narrative, it is verse 5. Joseph says, Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And again, come down with me to verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over the land of Egypt. If you've heard this before, it's because this is the whole key idea that underpins the whole Joseph narrative. God works through the messy and sinful and hurtful and evil circumstances of life to bring about his purpose. In New Testament terms, Romans 8 says that for those who love God, that is for those who belong to Christ, God works all things together 
for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph is teaching us that what you know about God affects the way that you respond. How you think means how you respond. And flip it around, how you act and behave is a reflection of what you believe about God. Joseph, he's learnt that even in the darkest moments of his life, God is at work bringing about good. And so Joseph can respond in forgiveness and not revenge. God is at work for good. Um, I was chatting with my wife about this passage and she, she asked me this question. She asked, how do you communicate that truth to someone in the midst of despair? Like, I get it works retrospectively. You can see God at work. But how do you pass to someone in the moment? Um, we have some friends at the moment and um, they have made godly plans but it's just not working out for them at the moment. They have prayed and they have sought good counsel and things are working out for people around them, but for them, it's not coming together. How do you say to them that God is working for good? I don't have the answers, but the answer that at least I think is with a lot of humility, it's to confess that we don't know the timing of what's happening at this point in time. We don't know the timing of what's going to happen for you one month, six months, 12 months from now. But it's a confidence that says that even in the details of what you are going through right now, God is doing something to bring about good for you and for his purpose. God works for the good of those who love him. Friends, I just think this is such an important truth about God that I actually think it's worth pausing for a moment and actually praying for those of us who are experiencing grief and disappointment and isolation and boredom in light of God's plan. So will you bow your heads with me? This is not the end of the sermon, by the way. Just, we're just going to pray for those in that situation. So please pray with me. Father God, we give you thanks for this truth that you are at good, working for good in every detail of our life. And so now we just want to pause and consider those amongst us who are experiencing grief and pain and loss, disappointment and isolation and personal internal struggle. Father, we pray for a loving community to wrap our arms around each other and please remind us that even in this moment you are at work bringing about good for us and for your good purposes and we ask this in Jesus name Amen Back to Genesis Alright, basically from chapter 45 verse 9 onwards Joseph tells his brothers go get dad Bring him back to Egypt. You can live in this place called Goshen and uh, you can live in peace and prosperity. Basically, everything you need will be provided. Okay? And like that picture I showed you at the beginning, the fullest picture of reconciliation comes in verse 14 and 15. Read with me. 
Then he, Joseph, fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the beauty of reconciliation. Not all families turn out like this. Um, If you've never had serious tension in your family, it's hard to appreciate what this is like. But I know for some of you, and you have ongoing conflict in your families, you can start to appreciate what it must be like to have a reconciled relationship. That is God at work in a broken world. So there it is. This is kind of the end of the narrative, but not really. In one sense, it is, because the only thing really left is for Joseph's dad to actually reunite with Joseph, and the story's basically finished. We've walked with Joseph from betrayal through to imprisonment to uprising and now to reconciliation. It actually fits really nicely as a story together. Um, Has anyone here actually seen the production Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yes, a few people. It's, it's such a succinct story in and of itself that people have made a production out of it. So this is kind of the end of the narrative. One problem is that there is one plot hole in this chapter. Mercy and I, we watched Moana last week. Who's seen Moana, the Disney film? Um, basically... Great songs, massive plot holes. Like, there's a lot of things wrong with that movie. Um, Anyway, a lot of it doesn't make sense. Did you notice the plot hole in Genesis 45? What I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you from verse 16 and see if you can spot the plot hole. 45.16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house... Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods For the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Spot the plot hole. Put your hand up if you spotted the plot hole in these verses. It's tricky, isn't it? To spot the plot hole of Genesis, God has made some promises to his people Israel that they would what? Become a great blessed nation and that they would have their own land. And yet here, they're not going to their own land. They're actually coming out of their own land. And where are they going? Into the land of Egypt. A land ruled by someone else. So chapter 45, while it is this picture of beautiful reconciliation, it also leaves us asking, how will God bring about his promises if his people are in a land that is not their own? Part of the answer is, come back next week and find out for the rest of the series in Genesis. Um, If you are new, come back next week and find out. If you're a regular, come back next week to see how God will work out his promises. 
in the life of Joseph and his family. But the other part of the answer is that the reconciliation we see in Genesis 45 points to God's bigger plan of reconciling the world to himself. See, by the time you get to the New Testament, the verdict is that you and I, we haven't just sinned against each other, but that we've actually sinned against God himself. But in an act of love like Joseph, God extends his forgiveness by Jesus dying on the cross. And so the hope of reconciliation is before us today in the story of the gospel. So what I want to do with these last few minutes is actually to ask two questions in light of that reality. The first is this. Have you been reconciled with God? Have you been reconciled with God? Here is where the Joseph narrative is very helpful Um, it reminds us that reconciliation is a two-way process. Is a two-way process. Who does God offer forgiveness to? Everyone. In the death of his son, he extends a hand of forgiveness to all. Is that the same as reconciliation? The answer is no. Like Joseph's brothers... For reconciliation to actually happen, the one who's done the wrong has to repent and come to accept the forgiveness. Um, That is, you may be someone here and you comprehend in your mind that Jesus offers you forgiveness, but you haven't yet been reconciled to God. You haven't yet repented and confessed your guilt before him and to others and come before him in a new faith. If that is you, the New Testament passage today urges us, be reconciled with God. Repent. Actually stop and acknowledge your guilt and realise that you need forgiveness. Experience the beauty of reconciliation. Okay? Many people get this wrong. We think that forgiveness is all, it's the only thing that's necessary. We're not earning our salvation, but as we don't come in repentance then there is no reconciliation. But the second question is, for those of us who have been reconciled with God, the Joseph narrative asks us, how are you going at reconciling relationships? How are you going at reconciling relationships? How are you going, for example, at showing forgiveness to others like Joseph? One of the confusions that... um, we run into is that we often think forgiveness is the same as forgetting. I love my family, but growing up, if we had a conflict in the family, we'd go to bed and the next day everything would be okay. Sometimes we think forgiveness is just moving and just getting over it. But that's not what forgiveness is. Um, When Jesus took our sin on the cross, that wasn't just God forgetting our sin. That was calling out sin for what it was and actually bringing about a penalty for that sin. Um, So friends, forgiveness is calling out sin as wrong and evil and then making a choice not to hold it against someone else. Um, So 
It may be that you, at this point in time, need to actually bring to light some grievances that you have with someone else. Someone who's done something wrong to you, and instead of keeping it inside, you actually need to approach them and actually bring about and call that sin for what it is. Um, I don't think this is easy, but what tends to happen is that if we don't prayerfully go down the path of forgiveness we tend to go down the opposite path of bitterness and resentment. And what tends to happen is that people have left churches even because they haven't actually processed the hurt and the wrong that's been done. Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Friends, that's a a hard truth. And uh, as I say it, I realise that forgiveness, repentance reconciliation is often a long-term game for us as Christians. Uh, It was not easy for God to give up his only son to die on the cross for us. And in the messiness of relationships, isn't it true that you and I are so susceptible to hold grudges against those around us? Whether we actually say it to someone, we always harbour some disappointment and bitterness and grief. And like Joseph and like the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to extend forgiveness to others because God has done so at the cross. But as I said, it's hard work and it requires emotional energy and most of all, the supernatural work of God's spirit. So I'm going to ask God now to help us, and this is the end of the prayer sermon, that he, by his spirit, will give us that grace and mercy in our reconciling relationships. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Joseph and his life and that he points us to a greater reality of the Lord Jesus' forgiveness on the cross. Father, I do ask now that for those of us amongst us who have been holding out forgiveness uh, at an arm's distance, we pray that we would come in repentance firstly to you, that we would confess our guilt, but also to those who we have wronged. Help us to bring into light our sin. Father, as well we pray for our hearts that we may follow in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may have a stance and a readiness of forgiveness to others, that we may speak about sin as it really is, that we may call it out as evil, but that we, by your Spirit, may not harbour that deep resentment which we easily find becomes part of our soul. We know that this is only possible by your redeeming work on the cross and by the work of your spirit. So we ask and plead for this in Jesus' name. Amen.